Um, this week has been a challenging week for me, just so you know. Not just because I'm turning older on Tuesday. <laughs> but, but hasn't it been a heavy week for us all with um, all that has happened? And Susan, thank you for praying so beautifully for the needs of our church and our country and all that is going on along with the, the war in Ukraine and the shooting in Texas that is just compounded with what happened in Buffalo, as you mentioned. Um, in our own congregation, many of you know Bud Harbin. He passed away this past week, and that's been heavy on my heart, along with those who we care for and love in the hospital, praying for Danielle and Theron. Um, and then the few people in our church contracted COVID, and, and my heart has just been so heavy for a lot of people in our church this week. And I found myself singing that Take Six song. I don't know if you guys know that a cappella band, Take Six. They have a song called, If we ever needed the Lord before, we sure do need Him now. And I just kept singing that over and over again because I believe in my heart that if we ever needed the Lord, now is a great time. And in times like this, in times that we live in, in difficult and tragic times, our faith in Jesus really sets us apart as believers from what the world has to offer, right? What does the world have to offer? That, that we, here in the church, because we know Christ, have so much more of. Because Jesus truly does make a difference in our lives. And it's great to have Jesus in the good times, but man, in the difficult and challenging times, it is essential to have faith in Him. And today's message really speaks uh, to this very difficult issues that we're facing. And, and, and uh, I want to share today's message with you. We're continuing in our sermon series through the letter to the church in Philippians. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to open it up to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, and hear the word of the Lord today. Paul says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Iodia and I plead with Synthache to be of the same mind in the Lord. And yes, and I ask you, my true companions, help these women since they have contended at my side at, in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. And then he says this, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. This is the word of the Lord for us today. And if anybody here today is is struggling to know if Jesus really does make a difference. And if the stuff that, that we talk about in the Word of God, is it true? Is it real? Can I really lean in on this and rely on this in hard times like we're living through now? I want you to know that just from this passage, there is a, a theme that strings from the very beginning of the Bible that runs through 
our passage today, it takes us to the very end, that helps us to know, to know that we know that we know that what, what we're talking about, the Word of God, is real for us. Okay? I'm going to help you to know that this is not fable. Or, or, or can, we, can we really put our faith in this? I want you to know that from what we read today, there's a theme that, that just goes through the Bible that helps us to know that this truly is real. This passage we find is a recurring theme. And the theme that, that uh, helps me to know that this is really true and real is something unique about the Word of God. But it's not what you might think it is. The thing that, that makes the Word of God real for me today as I read this is that the Bible takes responsibility for the dysfunctional history of its people and the relationship they have with God. Stop to think about this for a second, right? The Bible doesn't hide its dysfunction. It doesn't hide the brokenness. It reveals it. It discloses it. And what's so great about the Bible is it deals with it as well, too. If, if you are like my family, dysfunction is a real thing, right? It's a real thing. A lot of people have difficult and challenging histories in their families, as I do. And if you, were write, if you were to write a story about your family and you wanted others to join your family, okay, you're going to write a story about your family, you want others to join and be a part of it, what would you write about your family so others would say, yeah, I want to be a part of that? Would you write the full story? The real story? Or would you just write about the good things so that people go, oh, yeah, I want to join that family. You know what we have in the Word of God? <laughs> we have the good, we have the bad, and we have the ugly. And what the Word of God does is it tells the story of our unfaithful ancestors. It tells the story of our embarrassing uncle who was a politician. He slept with another man's wife. And in his Shame tried to scheme and hide that sin. And when that didn't work, he schemed to have that woman's husband killed. And that happened. That's in our history. And it's written in the Word. We have a history that includes the son, our brother, being sent to help all of us. And then we betrayed him. And we denied him. And then he was killed. And we have in our history the story of these two ladies here today who are struggling because they cannot agree on something. We don't know what it is, but there's dysfunction here and it's affecting the church. And the Bible doesn't hide it. It tells the story. And because of that, you know what I say? I can believe this. Because it's not trying to hide anything. It's being truthful and honest. And the beautiful part about it is that in all of the difficult and challenging stories, the ones that we'd rather hide than reveal, God gives us a plan and how we should live to move forward 
and move ahead. And that's what we have today. And so in the passage of scripture that we find ourselves in here in Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1 through 4, we have an honest story of dysfunction that makes this real, right? We're not trying to hide anything. This is true. But we also have biblical solutions for how we deal with this. Oh, I'm so grateful for that. The Bible is authentic, people. And we can put our faith in it. I can believe in it. Because it gives us a redemptive, grace-filled response to deal with the challenging aspects of our world and our lives. And so today, as we walk through this heavy time that we're, what we're working through, with the difficulties in our world and in our church, maybe in our own lives, my prayer is that you can take, you can take on and grab a hold of hope for what the passage of Scripture has for us today because of what Jesus has done. And so, let me again read the passage of Scripture and we'll begin to talk about it. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord, yes. And I ask you, my true companions, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Oh. And so was, there's this argument that's going on between Iodia and Syntyche that was real. And the division that it caused in the church was painful. And this, this problem was so big that Paul, who is in a prison in Rome, hears about it and writes about it because this problem threatens the Philippian church's unity at a time when they needed unity more than ever. And the Apostle Paul then, in this short passage of Scripture, shares with us a phrase that he repeats three times, and we already know from taking Bible class that whenever you see a phrase repeated, you should take notice of it. When it's repeated twice, right? Or that's when it's repeated. When it's repeated three times, man, don't miss the power of what is being said here. And so Paul repeats a phrase three times in our passage of Scripture to help the Philippian church and to help us today. The phrase that he repeats anchors the church. And it gives the church a perspective to deal with its problems. And also, it gives the church a way forward. And the phrase is the, 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 the title of my sermon today, In the Lord. Will you please repeat after me? Say, in the Lord. Lord. The first thing that the Apostle Paul says about being in the Lord helps to ground the church in Philippi. Right? And he, Paul lays a foundation when he says, stand firm in the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord. Ground yourself in the Lord. But the foundation that Paul lays down is a foundation of love. 
he says, he says some beautiful things to the church there in Philippi. And he makes sure that before he deals with anything, he lets the church know how much he loves them. He expresses his love for the Philippian church with these beautiful words. Listen to what it says. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and I long for, my joy and my crown, Stand firm in the Lord. That's beautiful. In fact, if you read all of Paul's letters, I would dare say that this is the most affectionate language Paul uses to talk about any church anywhere in any of his other epistles. He's, he's expressing the true deep affection for the church. I mean, I would even use that in writing a note to Rochelle. I mean, sadly, Paul writes more beautifully than I write to my wife. If I said to Rochelle, Rochelle, I love and long for you. You are my joy and my crown. Have you even heard me use those words before? I've never said that. I'm embarrassed. But if I did, Rochelle, wouldn't that just... It would evoke all kinds of feelings between you and I. And, <laughs> and that's what Paul does. He lays down this beautiful foundation of love. And then he grounds them in this instruction. Stand firm in the Lord. Which is really, really interesting. You know why? This phrase to stand firm. What does that phrase mean to you? When someone says stand firm. It means to be stubborn, right? To don't give up ground. <laughs> and that's exactly what's happening between Iodia and Syntyche. They're fighting and they can't work it out. They're standing firm on their own opinions and, and decisions. And Paul tries to redirect them and says, No, no, no. Stand firm not in what you are thinking is right. You've got to change your perspective and stand firm in the Lord. That's where you need to be stubborn in. That's where you don't give any ground. Not in your own personal squabbles, but to stand firm in the Lord. Oh, I think that is so powerful to, to be stubborn about something that matters way beyond what this world has to offer. Because you know when there's fracture, when there's disagreement, whether it's in the family, whether it's at the workplace, or whether it's in the church, if there's not a firm foundation, the relationships there begin to crumble. Right? In the family, if there's disagreements, there's brokenness. If it's in your workplace, and many of you have workplaces that aren't in the church, and a lot of disagreements happen there. And there's broken trust many times. But can you imagine if it happens in the church? And you've probably been in churches maybe where there have been disagreements. And the fallout of that makes it very, very difficult to build the kingdom of God in that place. 
And that's why this is so important, that when we talk about standing firm, it's not about our own opinions, but it's about what is so much more important, and that is being standing firm in the Lord. And the Apostle Paul gives context to this. When you turn back a few pages in Philippians chapter 1, verse 27, he says this, I know, I will know that you, here we go, stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Standing firm, not about what I think, but about the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Church, that is what we all must need to stand firm in, in the unity of what the gospel teaches us, who the Son of God is to us, and the difference that he makes in our lives. And that is what we hold on to in times like we live in today. And you know what is so beautiful and I love, love, love about this? The Apostle Paul, he doesn't take any sides. Did you notice that? He doesn't say, oh, Eodia is more right than Syntyche. Or Syntyche had it right. No, he doesn't take sides. You know whose side he does take? The side of the gospel. Because that's what he's telling us to stand firm in. And he also invites the rest of the church to come alongside these two women who are godly women. They have worked and contended along Paul to to build this church. They're important people. And you know what happens oftentimes when people in the church fight? When there's dysfunction here? You know what happens? People leave. Isn't that true? people walk out the door and said, this is not what God's churches should be about. Paul is dealing and contending with the exact same thing that we struggle with today. And therefore, church, hear me when I say, if you're going to be stubborn about anything, let it be about what the Word of God teaches us, about the good news of who Jesus Christ is. I will fight you to defend that. That's what I would do. I hope you would do the same thing. And so, he lays the foundation of love and he calls upon the church not to take sides except the side of the Lord. Stand firm in the Lord in this way. Don't stand firm in the conflict. Right? Stand firm in the Lord. The second time the Apostle Paul uses these words in the Lord when he calls in verse 4 Eodia and Syntyche to, to be of the same mind. He says, I plead with Eodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Oh, The damage of disagreements and what they cause can wreak havoc. It crumbles foundations. We've talked about that. But the Apostle Paul, what he does is he strengthens the foundation of the Philippian church. First of all, he does it with love. And then he gives them the solution for how you deal with the dysfunction and how you deal with the problem. And he says this, be of the same mind. Be of the same mind. And how, church, listen to this, how we deal with disagreements will really show what we believe about the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? If you can't get along with somebody and that's the end of it, 
Why are we even here? What's the power that we have to draw from that can help us in our disagreements? And how we help one another navigate disagreements show what we really believe about the unity and the uniqueness of our church. Our church, since I've been here in the past year, has been a beautiful place for me. And I pray that it has been for you. I've listened to some of the history of our church, and we're moving and trending in the right direction. Praise God. You know why? Because I think we're going back to how important this is. Right here. And then we're joining our minds and our hearts together. And we're saying, there's something more important than what the world has to offer. And that is what the church has to offer. And that is Jesus for a world that needs it so badly. And in the end, isn't it all about one thing? about relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, and then our relationship to the world. And you can throw in the relationship you have with yourself, but it's, it's, it's about relationships, church. And, 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 and I've used this, this acronym of relationships and, and, and how, how Philippians highlights Jesus first. Others, and then you, and what that does, and that's really the recipe that brings us joy. Because when you're in relationship with someone, no matter how great that relationship is, right? If you're in relationship with someone, you'll disagree about something. It could be really, really petty things like, who's going to win the NBA Finals? Boston Celtics? Golden State Warriors, and you disagree about that. Or it could be really important things. But you're going to have disagreements no matter what. As long as you're in relationship with someone else, you'll be in disagreement. You're not going to disagree with yourself, right? Some people do, I guess, if you're schizophrenic, right? You ought to wear an Aloha shirt because it's Pastor Gordon's birthday. I will not do that. You normally don't disagree with yourself. And so whenever we talk about disagreements and dysfunction, it's about relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with one another. And we're not always going to agree about everything. But there are certain things we must not disagree upon. And we all must agree that above it all, we hold up Jesus. Above it all, we hold up Jesus. And we have godly values from the Word of God. And that's where we take our cues from His Word. And that's what it means to be of the same mind. It's not believing The same thing in everything. And it's not about even the issues. You know what it's about? Our attitudes and how we deal with each other. You see, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, you just turn a few pages back, this very thing that Paul is talking to the church about in dealing with Iodia and Syntyche, of being of the same mind, he says it earlier in Philippians. 
Remember what he says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5? In your relationships. It's all about relationships. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. He already said it once before, maybe in prelude to what he's going to deal with, with Eodia and Syntyche, but he's already told us, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. And that mindset isn't about the issues, that you need to be this or that. It's about the attitude of the heart. It's about humility. It's about sacrifice. And it's about love. Because this is what he says. Well, in, in the older versions of the NIV, right, that verse 5 says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. For those of you who have 1984 NIVs and, and earlier, that's what it says. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. In the later versions, it's your, in your relationships. Have the same mindset of that of Jesus Christ. But this is what it leads us to, right? Who, being in the very nature of God, didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. That should be our mindset. That should be our attitude. Because our relationships with one another really does matter. It matters. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that in our relationships, we need to have the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus. Because if your, if your mindset is to live a life of humility and service and sacrifice to God and others, and mind's that same one, and even if we disagree on issues... We can come together. We can come together. So he says, be of the same mind in the Lord. Because how we disagree has huge implications. Right, Rochelle? No? No? No, just kidding. How we disagree has huge implications. Because I'll tell you this. The mark of a great marriage. The mark of great friendships. And the mark of a great church is not in the absence of disagreements, but how those disagreements are handled. That's the mark of greatness in relationships because we're all going to disagree on something. But how we deal with that will lead us on a trajectory that honors God or one that doesn't. It would lead us to greater, stronger relationships or ones that are fragile, weak, and easily broken. You see, in every disagreement, there, there aren't just sides to take. In fact, Paul doesn't even take sides. You know what? There are people to bring together for Jesus' sake. That's what we have the opportunity to do when there are disagreements. Every disagreement is an opportunity for us to come alongside people and be peacemakers for the kingdom of God. And we only can do that when we're living in the same mindset as that of Christ Jesus, having the same mind in the Lord. Man. And then the third time the Apostle Paul uses in the Lord, he's there at the end in verse 4, 
He says something that is difficult for us today, maybe even right now. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And then he doubles down on it and he says, and I will say it again, rejoice. And uh, I'll be honest with you and tell you, even though my birthday's coming up, I, I don't feel like rejoicing just yet. My heart's been heavy. War, tragedy, illness. As uh, Susan Brownlee said, this is maybe a better thing is this is a time for lament. And, and, and we ought to. That's a very healthy thing for us to do, is to lament. But know this about lament. Lament was never meant to be a destination for us to land and stay in. Lament is a part of the journey. And that journey leads us towards the light of Christ. You know that light at the end of the tunnel that you can see afar off? If you stay there, that light will never get bigger. But the journey in lament takes us closer and closer to Jesus. And when we arrive, or at least get closer, the ray of hope grows bigger. And that hope in Christ can bring something to us very unexpected. And that's what Paul calls us for, to, to, to rejoice in the Lord always. He says, he doubles down, I will say it again, rejoice. And you know, when you're going through a really difficult and challenging times, and then somebody that's not feeling what you're feeling comes by you and pats you on the back and tries to encourage you, maybe with some well-meaning words, but it's kind of offensive because... They don't know what you're feeling, and what they say is off-putting, right? It's kind of what is happening right here when Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. But then you wait, and you stop, and you think about the source of what Paul is saying. And here is a guy that's in prison, awaiting a sentence that could possibly lead him to death. And when the word for rejoice comes from there, that's different. That's somebody going through maybe what you and I are going through. The uncertainty, the difficulties, the challenges. But from his perspective and where he stands in the Lord and where his mindset is in the Lord, he can also say that the source of my joy is not in the circumstances that is going on in my life or your life. The source of my joy is in the Lord. Therefore, I can rejoice in that. So it's not insensitive. The source of the Apostle Paul's joy is in the divine grace of God. The source of the Apostle Paul's joy is in the unlimited mercy that comes from heaven. And that is offered to you today and to me. And we always have access to it. And therefore, Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. 
One of the other heavy news that came to me this week was I got a text from a family from the church that I used to pastor in Hawaii. Beautiful family. And, um, and the family had a, they had a death in their family. And uh, they said, Pastor, you're not on social media, so you probably didn't see the post, but I share it with you. And there was a death in the family, and I, I mourned that. And then they sent a passage of scripture, which is a passage that I want to close with today. It's not from Philippians, it's actually from Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And hear the word of the Lord for us today. Though the fig tree doesn't bud, and there are no grapes on the vine, and though the olive crops fail and the field produces no food, And though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of deer. And He enables me to tread in the night. From a family that lost loved ones can come joy like this because they know the source of their joy. May the source of our joy be in the Lord. May our mind be in the Lord. And may we stand firm together in the Lord today. Today as we close, I just wanted to give everybody an opportunity. If you would like to pray and lament, that's very appropriate. And you can find your way to the altar and pray for Theron. Pray for Danielle. Pray for the war in Ukraine and the families in Texas and the families in Buffalo and your family and my family. But I don't want you to miss that light at the end of the tunnel that is inside that we're journeying towards that. And your time of lament just draws you closer to the hope that Jesus offers to us.